Jake and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott, Ben Anderson, thank you very much for making us a part of your day. What's going on, Ben? Good morning, Jake. How are you? Oh, yeah, I didn't get engaged at the jazz game last night, but things are fine. Yeah, that was a, that was a nice moment. I think it went very viral. Did you see at that? At the game? Yeah, I did. It's everywhere. Congratulations to Danielle and Brandon, Utah's newest couple. Well, I, I bet they've been a couple for a while. Two years. I did some research last night. Did you really? Yeah, deep dive. <laughs> newest engaged couple, maybe, but newest couple, I mean... Ah, people move quick in Salt Lake, Utah. Right. I mean, our guy Hans Olsen moved, like, lightning quick, yeah. but not, you know, new couple, right to engage. Uh, ben, we're going to talk to Matt Brown coming up uh, here momentarily. He covers uh, college football, publisher of Extra Points. And uh, we'll we'll chat with him. He's uh, he, about the Rose Bowl coming up. He's followed Ohio State closely. Followed, covers uh, obviously national college football. So we'll get his thoughts on uh, what uh, chances the Utes have. But Ben, before we get to that, and we're going to get to him right off the top here in a moment. It is the Road Home Radiothon. It is the annual. I've been doing this now for eighteen years. Wow. And um, it's awesome. We were we were talking about it before. Uh, they're an incredible organization that does uh, groundwork. I mean, they they are right there helping the most vulnerable and families. And it's a it's a pleasure to be a part of this event uh, once again because it helps a lot of people. And it's always um, uh, inspiring because our, our listeners are are always generous. It's a it's a great cause. So and uh, it's one of the few days we get to do this. So we appreciate everybody who uh, does end up uh, sticking with us throughout the day and, and helping out because it's a very important cause, as you mentioned. 801-819-7300. We'll just get the, the number out there and go on 801-819-7300. You can donate online at uh, theroadhome.org. And, of course, uh, the the donation is, is most important. But, you know, tell them you're a zone listener because the uh, truth is uh, we're we're competitive. Yeah. And we'd like to win. We love that. So, <laughs> please uh, do that. But let's get out uh, to the Smart Rain special guest line. Uh, Smart Rain state of the art uh, smart irrigation controller helps with first class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how and save 30 to 50% off your commercial property's water costs. So, call 877 346 3333. As I mentioned, he is the publisher of Extra Points and covers college football. He's Matt Brown with us here on Jake and Ben. Matt, thanks for a few minutes. How you doing? Hey, my friends, I'm, I'm doing well. Always happy to spend some time with y'all. So, uh, huge Rose Bowl coming up for the University of Utah. It's their first. How does Ohio State feel about this? I imagine this is not what they were expecting, you know, going into Week 10, Week 11. No, absolutely, absolutely not. And this is going to be a major storyline here, I think, leading up to this game. I, I know that it is a cliche, and it's, it's something that fans don't like to hear about when you head into bowl season and the game clearly means more from one side for the other. But I think that is exactly what the case here. This is clearly the biggest postseason game maybe in Utah's history. They are overwhelmingly excited to be there. I think they're going to, we're looking at what, 30, 40,000 plus Utah fans coming to the game. And even though the Rose Bowl is historically a big deal here for the Big Ten, Ohio State's been there a lot. And one of the big questions I think leading up here is who is going to be playing? Because I would imagine at least one, if not both, of Ohio State's best wide receivers and parts of their really good offensive line are going to opt out of this game. Um, and that's going to give Utah a lot of momentum. Matt, well, talking about the Buckeyes, was there a common tissue between their two losses with Michigan and Oregon? Was there something that those teams did? 
you know, you know, honestly, they were, I, I think, pretty different losses. The thing about the Michigan loss and the one that I think votes well for Utah and the one that it, it's also, I think, broken Ohio State fans' brains is that they were physically beat up at the line of scrimmage by Michigan. They got manballed to death. And, and that you know, cut to the core of the Ohio State culture identity. They want to be able to do that. I and mean, then they were the finesse team. And Michigan was just able to run the ball for six, seven yards to carry between the tackles. They, they, they don't have um, you know, scores of, of first-round NFL talent, I think, there. And this Ohio State defensive line is the least disruptive it's been probably in, in six seasons. With, with Oregon, I think that was some similar issues. But on the, Ohio State couldn't set the edge. On, on, the, on the defensive line, they weren't able to get any kind of pressure, and so Oregon, the same thing, was able to run for six, seven yards to carry and have really open throwing lanes. So if Utah is kind of making their bread and butter, this idea here that we're going to physically dominate you at the line of scrimmage, well, normally you can't do that against Ohio State, but Oregon and Michigan were able to. When Ohio State was at their best this year, not in those two losses, but when they were at their best, what were they doing? What were they able to do? When they were at their best, this is probably the best offense in college football. Um, it, what makes it so particularly dangerous is that there are really five skill position players, if everybody plays, who are a threat to score a touchdown literally every time they touch the ball because they have first-round speed. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson um, were the two best wide, two, the best wide receiver pairing uh, in college football. That you have a deep threat. You have a threat over the middle. Travion Henderson is not only a really good wide receiver out of the backfield at running back, but somebody who can take a, a simple off-tackle carry. If he gets to the second level, he's gone. Nobody in the Pac-12, uh, even, even Oregon, would be able to stop him in the open field. So when they were at their best, you could pencil in Ohio State for scoring 45 points. Um, and that they're, they're in a position where they can make up 17 points in three drives in four and a half minutes. The, the problem with them was sustaining drives and stopping anybody. This, 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 the Ohio State defense has not been what it's typically been. So, Matt, it's great to have you on to get a national perspective uh, in uh, on this game. And I want to get kind of the natu- national perspective of the Utes. And, and do you think that the college football fan out there appreciates uh, what a great story that Utah is? And, of course, uh, you follow it, and Ben and I cover it on a daily basis. But, you know, losing a couple of teammates, uh, having kind of a, a mercenary quarterback, and that didn't work out. But the guy who had fought for the job for years – comes in and, and turns it around. I mean, it's just a it's just a, a, a great story. Do you think it's getting the run it deserves nationally? Uh, probably not, I think, in, in, in part because it's, it's been relatively recent that Utah has been playing really nationally important games, and this is the, uh, the struggle about being in the Pac-12, is that a lot of those games are going on uh, when the, the media centers of this country are asleep or watching something else. Uh, I think leading up to the Rose Bowl, you're going to hear that a lot more because you're exactly right. Given the enormous amount of adversity, and I, I, again, that, that's maybe not that's not even the right word to use for this, right? But the the, the trials and difficulties that this program has faced um, over the last year and a half, two years, uh, to the way that this roster is constructed, and really the the, the turnaround story, because it was very easy, I think, if you were in the Midwest or on the East Coast, to simply not think about Utah come October 1, and they're demanding it. And, and quite frankly, I think it is more likely than not that they beat Ohio State. Uh, and that would be, the, I think, the, the perfect ending 
to what Utah has been trying to build in this conference and what this program is right now. Utah's had a slew of guys declare for the NFL draft, but it seems like throughout everyone's planning on playing the Rose Bowl because, like you said, it might be the biggest game in Utah football history, and then they're going to start getting ready for the draft after that. What's the yeah. case with Ohio State? Are, are there players that are planning on skipping the Rose Bowl entirely? I have not heard any, I, anything specifically on this front, but the last few times that Ohio State has played in a New Year's Six Bowl game when they're not in the college football playoffs, First round or second round uh, talent has opted out. When they had the Rose Bowl a couple years ago against Washington, they had multiple players opt out. And it would surprise me if Ohio State's uh, one or both of their most elite wide receivers play in this game. Uh, You have a couple of people on their offensive line, as as I understand it right now, are are still making a decision. Um, It would would be a big upset if Ohio State is at full strength up and down this roster. Most of their secondary and most of the defensive line uh, are not seniors uh, or not people who are, are ready to jump to the NFL. Or people that are, you know, mid mid round picks, I could still benefit from a really strong performance in this game. But I would not. I would expect Ohio State's offense is not going to be at completely full strength. It would. It would be. It would go against form if everybody ends up playing. So, Matt, kind of give us the latest. Where do you think the college football playoff is is headed? How many teams? And uh, give us the time frame that that's on too. So what I what the best way I think to describe this, based on what people have been telling me, is that college the the, the, the power brokers in this sport, these conference commissioners, operate the same way that we did when we were juniors in college, and we had a term paper due. You know, panic makes a really effective muse. <laughs> They've had a chance now to have lots of uh, lots of expense dinners and go to uh, you know the finest Marriott conference rooms. In, in suburban America over these past couple of months hammering out these meetings. And now you're coming up on some real deadlines in the beginning of next month because if you don't make this decision, I believe, in, in, in early to mid-January, then you're kind of stuck with the, the, uh, the, the format through the duration of this contract. What I have been told is that everybody agrees that they want to expand the playoffs. Just everybody agrees at this point that when you expand the playoffs, you want to make sure that multiple broadcast entities – um, have the rights. This is not going to be a solely ESPN uh, produced entity like Fox or CBS or NBC or somebody else is going to get some of these games. That's very important to the non-ESPN <laughs> stakeholders, particularly the, the Big Ten right now. The, 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 big, the, the two big questions are, do we go 8 or 12? And my money right now is, is still more 12 is more likely. The big question is, who gets automatic bids? And how is that determined? And that's that, that's still being hammered out right now. I, if I had to bet, I think that you're going to see an agreement to expand this playoff before um, the actual deadline. But they're going to take every day possible to get to that point. Matt, it, I've been you know covering college football, not certainly not as long as you have, but but it feels like already in the last handful of years it's changed dramatically. But one of the really cool things you've done on your your extra points newsletter is you go back through you know some of the most unbelievable headlines in the history of college football. Are we just is this just par for the course uh, as far as how crazy college football is, and we're just kind of in this new era of it, or does this feel somewhat unprecedented to you? Uh, some of these changes are absolutely unprecedented, right? Like the, the the seismic changes that name, image, or likeness brings is, is not like anything we've seen in college football before. And it's not that college football or, or, or college athletes generally are now suddenly being paid. 
people have been getting paid since 1905, right? And, and, and businesses have recognized that athletes uh, are, are marketable really since the turn of the century. But the amount of, of institutional corporate money that's, that, that can be flowing into this world and how that's changing recruiting and how that's changing how in, uh, programs staff themselves and identify themselves, yeah, like that is really new. The, the acceleration of spending, both on salaries and facilities and on infrastructure, that's really unprecedented. That's increasing at a rate higher than it was right in, in the very beginning of the uh, explosion of deregulation. Um, craziness and coaches changing jobs, craziness and upsets, craziness and realignment, like that's all been a constant. But some of the, the really structural changes are happening at a rate that we haven't seen before. And there's a really good chance, I think, next year that some of those changes could expand even more because we've got three or four other court cases and the National Labor Relations Board that are going to take a, a, a direct aim at the very concept of amateurism. So it is, it is not impossible that we could be talking next December and, and about how, um, how the unionization effort is going at 12 different schools and what athlete collective bargaining looks like. That is, that's not a crazy pitch anymore. Uh, last thing for me, Matt, and uh, we appreciate you coming on. Is Lincoln Riley the right guy to make USC USC again? Man, I, I tell everybody, and I know this makes for terrible radio, right? That uh, trying to project what coach is going to be successful somewhere feels like an impossibility, and it especially feels like an impossibility to me at places like USC and Texas, because having a big name coach and a big name coach who can recruit talent has never been their issue. Even under Clay Helton, who I, I don't, I mean, even people who've been covering the Pac-12 for a long time, I think some of you, some folks wouldn't be able to identify him in a lineup. He's been such an anonymous guy. USC's still been able to recruit really well. So I'm sure Lincoln Riley's going to recruit really well and, and, and have that cult of personality, and Lane Kiffin did that too. The problem has been about development. The problem has been about getting boosters and administrators and everybody on the same page. So for a lot of these blue blood programs that are struggling, your USC's, your Nebraska's, your Texas's, your Miami's, I think the rot there is in the floorboards. So that's bigger than, than, than one coach. Um, and that's going to be an interesting challenge uh, for Lincoln Riley's ability to develop a program because a lot of this really has nothing as, as to do more, more to do with uh, getting suits on the right page than getting five stars to come to Southern California. That hasn't been the issue. Well, Matt, thank you very much for jumping on with us. We really appreciate it, and uh, I think it's a it's a great matchup in the Rose Bowl. I think it should be a really fun game. It should be it should be a lot of fun. I can understand if you are uh, a, a Columbus native like like I am that maybe you won't enjoy it very much. But it should, it should be a great football game for the rest of the country. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Uh, that's Matt Brown. He's the publisher of Extra Points, covers college football. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Brown EP. And uh, was a terrific guest. That was uh, that was interesting. No, Matt's really interesting. Uh, has some ties to the state. I think he's written uh, for some local blogs before he's kind of made it big. And then, yeah, his Extra Points uh, newsletter is very cool. It really goes back to some crazy, hilarious headlines of college football. But but he's got a real uh, real feel for what's going on uh, across the country. This whole player thing is a it's a real can of worms. Yep. That was interesting to hear him detail where he thinks that could be going, and right. he did stress that could uh, the also. But uh, in the the playoff, I think it's certainly going to expand. Uh, he's right about the television aspect of all this; that uh, they're going to want to not have ESPN be the exclusive provider of those games. Yep, it gives the S well because and and all this is probably not interesting to our listeners, but the the ESPN uh, ESPN pushed out 
CBS from the SEC. ESPN is now the exclusive SEC uh, rights holder. Right. And they're in bed with them with the SEC network and all of that. And so the Big Ten almost by default is now Fox. And Fox is part of the Big Ten network. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of voices in the room, Ben. But the, 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 all those voices are excited about paying Ubo dollars right. to air whatever the product is. Did you have a problem with the uh, Jimmy Kimmel Bowl? Some of it got a little bit goofy. Certainly, the halftime no. everyone saw it, where the uh, Jimmy Camel, which was the hilarious, which I thought it was funny, and then he went and threw up over the uh, dock, which I think was a little over the top for some people. Still, I funny. honestly think it's funny, and that's what Jimmy Kimmel is. The show is funny, you know. They're kind of goofy and they're over the top, and I really didn't have an issue with it. I know some people. The did. players, Ben, went on the show. Correct. Correct. How amazing is that? Right. I don't care what gag they pulled during the game or whatever. It's it's cool. Utah State, listen, and, and I truly believe this, that bowls are set up to be a reward for the players, or they should be. It should be part of the experience. I believe in amateurism, Ben, that they're not professional athletes who deserve to have some good experience, and it's not all about winning and losing. And my heavens, you got the both teams on Jimmy Kill on national right. television on one of the you know uh, iconic shows that's out there and in uh, comedy. Awesome! I think it's great. I think it's worth it for that reason alone. Yeah, I'll, I'll be curious if at some point we start drawing the lines on. <laughs> Who can sponsor certain bowl games? You know, Barstool did one, and a lot of people don't like Barstool. Uh, and I don't think it even got televised. I think Barstool ended up taking the exclusive rights to broadcast it on their uh, on their website. They but streamed it. But but also kids being able to go out and endorse certain products. Like, where's the line going to be for that? Because I think that's going to continue to change, and and different strange companies are going to try and get involved for the idea of being like, hey, this is an area we weren't free to explore before, but because it's an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old kid who really doesn't care about what he's endorsing, we'll just put anything out there and see what we can pay him and see what they'll accept. It's going to happen. It's going to happen for sure. Yeah, just don't touch shoes. Correct. Leave your, you're not doing shoes, we'll be fine. Leave your uh, greedy paws off the shoes. And you can do whatever you want. Tattoo uh, a gambling site into the back of your head. We don't care. Just don't you wear Reeboks. Are Reeboks a thing anymore? Yeah, I think people have Reeboks. I don't have any. Because uh, that's what the Olympics ran into, right? Yeah. Way back in 92. Yep. The fame where Michael Jordan wore the... The, the the flag, flag. Uh, because uh, he didn't want to he's a Nike guy yep. didn't want to wear Reeboks want to remind you about our friends at Zero Res if you're prepping for the holidays Zero Res can help clean up before and after festivities keeping your carpets clean well into 2022 give them a jingle 801-288-9376 or book online at ZeroResSaltLake.com up north ZeroResDavisWeber.com it was funny what Matt said about the panic being the reason that the NCAA does anything well you know, combining two conversations with this NIL stuff and, and where it goes with the players, the panic really did them some disservice because they basically just got rid of all the rules without establishing framework right. to, to start things off. In fact, to continue the joke, the only framework they really established was hands off the shoes. Right. Everything else, uh, knock yourself out, which is – and then going back in retrospect and saying, we're looking into BYU and the, their built bar deal. Are you? Because you didn't, because you panicked, right? And you didn't, prepare. you burned it to the ground, yeah. And now you're like, wait, that's that's not what we had in mind. You don't say, right? It's it's why there's usually a big process to this sort of thing. But as Matt said, they're really just eating expensive dinners and telling each other how important they are, which is great. 
is is really great because it's not like there's young people's lives at stake or anything. The fact that it seems like they hadn't thought about this at all before it happened, that they didn't have this contingency plan waiting and just say, well, it's probably going to go one of two ways depending on a Supreme <laughs> Court decision. If it does, we need to have this ready to go, this plan ready to go. The fact that they acted like they got completely caught off guard by it all and had no concept of what was coming, yes, is one of the worst parts. But like Matt said, like you're saying, they seem to just be making it up as they go along and just be the, the, the same way we saw it with uh, Larry Scott and the Pac-12. Just going to live off the, 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 the free milk as long as you can get it. As long as you can be uh, uh, getting free handouts the way he was and stealing money that way. Just keep making it up as you go along because you're going to get fired at some point. Just steal as long as you can. And that seems to be the case for a lot of people in the NCAA. And this this might be my most 40-year-old take ever. But I'm slowly losing faith in the leaders of academia. Surely. And these are the people who are making the decisions that we're talking about right now. And just because, you know, folks out there are great academics and reach high places right. at universities – doesn't mean they're the greatest no. at running, uh, By any means. Uh, like uh, an athletic, basically organization. Yeah. Speaking of a lot of voices in the room, and there's voices at the top that may not know what they're doing. So, all right, Ben, it is the Road Home Radiothon. We want to get this number out there as much as we can. Call in and donate whatever you can. It makes a difference. 801-819-7300. 801-819-7300. Or you can go online to the roadhome.org. Uh, each day, the Road Home serves approximately 750 people with their emergency shelter alone. Over 1,500 people with housing. About uh, 2,250 people each night through all of of their different programs and uh ben i know you noticed walking into the building it's cold out there really cold it's, it's brutal yeah imagine having no place to go yeah and uh the road home is all about you know it, it says it all in the name of course the the road home there that's what their programs are, are designed to do is give people the boost when they need it the most and these folks are right there on the front lines helping every single day you know i'm excited for We've got a white Christmas coming up. We got you know storms coming in, which I think is fun for the skiers. It's fun for everybody who's excited to you know kind of have the romance of the holiday season and after Christmas. But really, for a lot of people, that is a very dangerous situation. This is the right time to be helping out if you can. And Ben, we're not down. We usually we're down there, and yeah. we're we're not down there again this year for for obvious reasons. But uh, I'll tell you, a couple of years ago, I was down there in the afternoon, and and when I saw the kids get off the bus from school, yeah. And just how many kids yep. got off the bus yep. from school. It really hammered at home. I mean, not that I – every year it seems that you, you find these moments that really hammer at home. But that was one that, that really stood out to me. And it's like, oh, man. So uh, any help you can give is great. 801-819-7300. Or also, Ben, if you want to go buy uh, either one of their resource centers, uh, they take uh, donations. You know, coats, socks, gloves, hats, boots, all, all that sort of stuff is all very important. Either 529 West, 9th Avenue in Midvale, or the uh, that's the Family Resource Center, or the Men's Resource Center is 3380 South and uh, 1000 West. What would that be, 10 West? Yeah. 
10 west uh right there in south salt lake uh south salt lake so if you can uh donate in in whatever way you can and and again the great part about uh these next couple of days with the road home radiothon is always get inspired by our listeners and their generosity so we appreciate uh each and every one of you 801-819-7300 801-819-7300 we'll plus, have plus we should also note that the huntsman foundation's matching all your donations oh yes up to a million you, dollars ben. so every dollar you put forward is actually two dollars how generous is yeah. that it's incredible that is that that is incredible absolutely making an impact on people's lives when they need it the most so 801-819-7300 or you can donate online theroadhome.org that's theroadhome.org more next jake and ben 97.5 and 1280 the zone Jake and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We have some news that could affect the jazz, but it is the Road Home Radiothon. Call and donate now, 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300. Any donation, uh, whatever you can afford, we appreciate, or you can go online, theroadhome.org. Ben, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeting out, The NBA told Christmas Day teams to be prepared for game times to shift. As late as December 24th, with a priority on filling the ABC windows of 2.30 Eastern, 5 o'clock Eastern, 8 p.m. Eastern, according to a memo uh, shared with the 10 teams playing on Saturday. Now, right now, the Jazz are slated to tip off at uh, 10.30 Eastern, 8.30 our time, but it sounds like that could possibly move, and there's really nowhere to go but earlier, so... We'll keep an eye on that, I guess. And that's because we're seeing games get suspended all over the place. You know, uh, there's a game tonight between Washington and Brooklyn suspended. Now, that matters coming up on Saturday on Christmas because Brooklyn is also set to play the Lakers at 6 p.m. Both of those teams have actually had major COVID issues already this season. Uh, Jazz and Dallas have not so far. Atlanta has had a lot, but Atlanta's got the early game, 10 a.m., playing against the Knicks. So it's not like if they canceled that, they would move anything around. I think no. they would just shell that game and say, whatever, we're not going to have right. a spot. But uh, they're going to try and get the 12.30, the 3 p.m., the 6 p.m., and the 8.30 games all filled. That's our time, not Eastern. Uh, so there's, I think there's a real chance that you could end up seeing, if that Brooklyn-Lakers game gets canceled, the Jazz moving up to 6 o'clock. That wouldn't be surprising at all. Me personally, I would not complain about no, that. No, no, don't don't move it up in, any further though. That's, no, that's probably Christmas. Pretty, I don't want to go three o'clock. That's good, but I don't hate the not eight thirty start. Eight thirty is pretty brutal. That's late. a pretty late game. <laughs> no, the best thing that ever happened last year was them moving all those eight thirty games to eight o'clock starts because they were reacting to the bad ratings or whatever. It's like yes, that's wonderful. Eight o'clock still late, but. Not uh, not eight thirty, but uh, jazz playing on Christmas. Um, the earlier you can get, also the more you you get showcased. So the more people are watching. Uh, the jazz got a Christmas Day game, but that that ten thirty Eastern slot is is a late one. But along those lines, uh, Shams literally just tweeted this out seconds ago. Contavious Caldwell Pope from the Washington Wizards has entered the health, uh, the health and safety protocols. Where well, where were the Wizards on Saturday? Here in Salt Lake City, they you were. Know, so there's just there's just as you play Eastern Conference teams, you know the Jazz played have played two of them now in the last three days. You're just going to run into it, unfortunately. You know, and you're on the court and you're guarding these guys and you're breathing heavy on each other. It's just going to get spread around into these uh, into these leagues. So it's going to hit the Jazz too soon, unfortunately. Coming up in the next little bit, if not if it's not already here. What did you think? And we haven't talked about this. Uh, and at risk of of going down the you know discussing the coronavirus too much, but yep. what do you think about the the NFL basically saying we're not going to test anymore? Yeah. Uh because the NBA's reaction was we're going to test more and we're going to be more stringent. The NFL just said we're just going to self report. Did you see Jared Goff's interview 
he did an interview with a radio station because he's in the health and safety protocol as well. Uh, so he wasn't playing because he did test positive. So Jared Goff, the quarterback for the Detroit Lions, said, here's what's difficult for me. And I, I have total sympathy for this. Last week, he was feeling really sick and tested. And they said, no, you've got the flu. You're fine. Come in. Come on in. Come on in. And now he's got light cold systems, uh, uh, symptoms, Symptoms, but did test positive for COVID. But he's pretty asymptomatic for the most part. And they said, yeah, don't come anywhere near the building. It's like, at this point, because these teams have pretty private medical staffs, can take care of one another. Most of these guys, I know the NFL is less than the NBA, but most of these guys have vaccines and have their booster shots, so they're not going to get really severe, long COVID symptoms for the most part. 95% in the NFL, I think. Is it that high in yes, the NFL, too? It's so, in the 90s. So it's yeah, yeah. still good. Right. A lot of these guys have, you know, gotten the vaccine, which has, by all the scientific uh, numbers, show that, like, it really helps. It's really going to prevent you from getting super sick and, and almost eliminate your chance of dying completely to, to still... Let somebody come in with the flu and not let them come in. And look, I, you shouldn't be coming in. You shouldn't be going to work if you're getting people sick, you know, and the idea of spreading it. But I understand why the NFL is doing this. What the NBA is doing right now with just letting teams go out and sign a million players to come in and replace, and you're not going to recognize any of the names. It's just going to be it, – it, it's not like there's a ton of dignity left for the season as it is. There's not a lot of integrity for what we thought the season was going to be. So I, I – I'm fine with what the NFL is doing. And if, by the way, if people want to disagree with this take, I'm fine with yeah. it. I, those of you maybe who haven't listened to me very much, uh, I'm always fine with dissenting opinion. I think it's what makes this country great. Uh, but back when the NBA was was trying to finish out the 2020 season, Ben, society was basically at a standstill and they were trying to get permission in a sense to do it. So they created these standards, which were absolutely ludicrous, but it got people to get out of the way and say, yeah. oh, OK, go ahead. I mean, doubles ping pong. Ben, they had to legislate that yep. you couldn't play right. doubles ping pong. Right. I mean, it, it especially in hindsight, it was just even though I was saying this at the time, just ludicrous. Yeah. But it, it's what they had to do to get permission to finish the season. Right. The next year, very similar circumstances. They're they're <clears throat> operating. They're playing in front of limited fans. I mean, they they were basically trying to get permission from society to do it. So they created these standards, which were difficult to live by, but in a sense, created the environment where they could complete it. It was more strict than society for a reason. Right. Well, now, why is it more strict than society? Right. Correct. Especially with the vaccination, which is, I think, a huge game changer. I guess some people disagree out there, but it it limits the 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 death and hospitalization, which is which are the those are the that's the issue. Those are the big things. That's the issue. Yeah. Yeah. And provides people protection. And so why, you know, I get it why we held them to a high standard for the last couple of years, because they needed to operate where other people weren't. But why are they held to a higher standard now than the rest of society? Ben, you and I are both vaxxed and boosted. Right. right. More than comfortable to come to work with. Sure. I, you know, and I hate, I I honestly hate talking about it because I don't want to pretend I'm a medical professional. Because all you hear are just the horror stories of of nurses, doctors, people wanting to quit their jobs, people just being horrible, you know, because of what they're going through by working in hospitals right now, which is saving people's lives and people not taking it seriously. So I, I don't want to sound passive or 
like I don't care about the issue because certainly we both do. And like you said, we've done what we can. My family's all boosted up. My kids are like yeah. I've, I've tried to do every single thing I can to make sure we're as well protected as possible. And still at a certain point, you can only go so far. Yep. You know, we still got to come to work. We still got to go to the games. There's still media members. We're still in the same room as Quinn Snyder and Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and Boyan Bogdanovich last night. And they were in the same room as Contavious Caldwell Pope. Like it's some of it's just unavoidable. And we're in a room that's the size of, you know, we're in a studio here that's maybe what? 60 square feet, not even that, maybe 50 square feet. Yeah. Like it's just inevitably going to be really difficult to do. So finding the spot right now for how the NBA plans to proceed or what the NFL's planning to do and just saying, we don't think our guys are going to get so sick because they're at this point where they've gotten vaccinated and it ends up being up to them and we can probably take care of them pretty privately. I, I, I get why the NFL is taking that approach. And I personally don't have a problem with it. To, to get to your point about, uh, you, you know, people, speaking of on the front lines, we're talking about uh, the road home, but uh, the healthcare industry and those sorts of things. I, I don't think that situation gets any worse if the NFL stops daily testing. Yeah. It's not their fault that that's happening. As long as the influence doesn't you know as long as it's not this influence of like well the nfl doesn't care so i don't need to care or the nfl is not being careful so i don't need to be careful i could see why that would be an issue but what they need to be preaching is hey we've got a 95 percent vaccination rate that's why we're comfortable yeah, playing right now because we have the ability to take care of our players that is not reflective of what normal society is like but to your point they are already operating at a different level than normal society than the way we are they are testing every week nba is testing every week and it's going to be changing up to every day now right which is why all these guys are testing positive even though nobody else is doing that in the rest of society so i i totally understand and agree with what you're saying all right well i'm glad we could have an adult conversation about that it, it's and, difficult and stuff it's hard that's the that's the ultimate yeah. thing it's hard to talk about because it's a hard topic because what uh, the, if we had easy solutions, we wouldn't still be here. But we are a year and a half later, you know, 19 months, 20 months later, we're still dealing with this as a, country, as a world, as a country, because nobody's had a good solution to it. And so I understand why people are trying different things. And I don't think that's necessarily the wrong approach. Well, there probably is no solution to it, but there is certainly a big, a big time mitigating factor that's out there. And that's the vaccine. And both leagues, the NFL and NBA, have been pretty good at that. And I mean, as we're speaking, Nemeas Keda from the Sacramento Kings, former Utah State Center, entered the league's COVID protocols. It's just rampant in the NBA right now. All right. Stay tuned. We'll have more Jake and Ben coming up. It is the Road Home Radiothon. We're raising money. We need your help. 801-819-7300. We're helping families when they need it the most. Uh, you can also donate online, theroadhome.org. Tell them you're a zone listener because we're competitive and we like to beat the other stations. And we usually win, Ben. I say usually because we had a streak going of like, it had to be, could have been 10 years. Yeah. And we did not win last year. Oh. So we need to bounce back. Let's do it. Those weirdos at X96 won last year, and we cannot let that happen. No. And honestly, it's just, it's a good cause. I understand why last year was difficult for a lot of people. A lot of people were out of work. A lot of people didn't know what the future was. Luckily, the economy's bounced back quite a bit. You know, I I hope that if you're in a place where you can give a little bit of money, any little bit, A, it's multiplied because the Huntsman Foundation is doubling all your uh, donations right now. But the fact that the road home is so efficient and works with the right people to make sure that, you know, you go and give somebody a dollar and it certainly is going to help, but you give the road home a dollar and it, you know, it's worth four or five times as much because they know how to get stuff at a very low cost to really help people the way they need it. So it's a very, very important cause, maybe no more important cause in, in, in the state of Utah with our weather during the winter. 
All right. Uh, call now, 801-819-7300. Uh, donate. You can also donate online, theroadhome.org, theroadhome.org. More next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Neil? Little Neil. You don't ever Brandon? have to apologize for Neil. Jake and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott. from the uh, Hans Anderson. Olsen collection. Yeah, He's a big Neil guy, right? He's a really big Neil guy, like... like have you, what's that terrible movie about uh, the diehard Neil Diamond fans? You know what I'm talking about with the American Pie guy, Jason Biggs. No, nothing. It's not ringing no, the bell at all. Very slightly. The, the Diamond Dogs, no, based on uh, Hans, is a little that way. Hmm. Like I could see him kidnapping Neil Diamond. Like that could that could be a thing. There's a famous story. You and I are kind of music guys. Uh, the Last Waltz, which we've talked about a little bit on the show, which was a Scorsese movie. It was the, the band was the band. They used to be Bob Dylan's backup band. Uh, they held their very last concert. It was on Thanksgiving Day. And they invited all these people. It's one of like the greatest gatherings of musicians of all time. Right. Bob Dylan's there. Clapton's there. Joni Mitchell's there. Neil Young is there. It's unbelievable. Uh, and Neil Diamond randomly was like friends with the guitar player. So Neil Diamond comes in and perform. And obviously Neil Diamond, of the names I just mentioned, not that he's not a great musician, he just is not that type of musician. Didn't Doesn't fit that mold. Doesn't really. fit that mold. So he comes out and he does this very Neil Diamond-y like, show thing and is walking off the stage and apparently cross paths with Bob Dylan. And he says to Bob Dylan, beat that. And Bob Dylan said to him, as long as I don't go fall asleep on stage, I think I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's a great story. So there's some bad blood there, apparently. Very different musicians. Really there, different. Bob yeah. and Neil. Yeah. Very. But you know what? In retrospect, to each their own. Everyone's trying to make people happy. Make a buck while they're doing it. Neil Diamond has is, is randomly caught a, like another wind in popularity from uh, like stadium anthems, of all things. Oh, 100%. I mean, it has one of the all-time great like sports songs now. Maybe the great sports song uh, with the seventh inning stretch that they do. Is it, is, it's in Boston, right? Yeah. They do that? yeah. But they Incredible. do it everywhere. Now. But now they do it everywhere. Now everywhere. they do it everywhere. Oh, and it's the ultimate karaoke song. Like, it is. He does. He, has a, he will live forever based on uh, that song. And alone. you know what? Someone really needed to fill the Gary Glitter... Uh, gap that was that was left by his horrible story, the Hay song. I don't think you hear that anywhere, right? No. You got you had to find something else. But I mean, Forever in Blue Jeans is an incredible song. It's got some Neil Diamond hits. I like Neil. No, yeah, I I'm I've, not got, I've got multiple. Uh, I've got multiple Neil Diamond uh, vinyl. Vinyl. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, joining the show now, of course, it is the Road Home Radiothon, 801-819-7300. It's, it's probably the most important thing that we do all year long, and we're, we're so proud to be a part of it. 801-819-7300, and you can go to theroadhome.org. But no, joining us now, uh, Josh from the Road Home. And Josh, we appreciate you uh, jumping on with us. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to talk with you guys. Now, I should ask, is it is it Joshua or Josh? Because I just kind of presumptively shortened it to Josh. I apologize. <laughs> no not, worries. Uh, but we appreciate you jumping on with us and, and helping getting the word out about uh, what it is you guys do and, and how many people you help. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. We're so excited to be, uh, be able to hop on today. We help about 800 uh, to 900 people tonight. So what when when somebody donates, you know, a couple of dollars, $5, $10, if they go up, you know, as much as possible, we certainly welcome it. How how does that money directly go to help people? What's the most practical use for it immediately for the people in need? 
Sure. I mean, immediately, uh, $32 can provide emergency shelter for an individual every night. Um, 45 bucks, you could help someone cover uh, their application cost to find a housing uh, option for them. Um, you know, it, it could be $100 can provide emergency shelter for an entire family. You know, so 1000 bucks provides two and a half months worth of housing support for an individual. It goes directly into services uh, and goes directly to people experiencing homelessness and the services we provide for them. And and we really miss being down there this year um, and, and yeah. seeing all you guys in, in person. Because, uh, you know, you get to meet and see that you, you're talking about families and, and that's who we're talking about. That's who we're helping, you know, people that just need a little bit, uh, you know, you guys say it all in the name, right? The road home just need a little bit of a boost. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, folks just fall on hard times and we're the ones uh, we come in and we, we try to help get them back up onto their feet and moving forward and getting that key in that doorknob and opening it up and they have their, their home, own home again. It's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for, for what you do. Thank you for coming on the show with us, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll have a good day, good couple of days, and, uh, and do a lot of good. We appreciate it, Josh. Thank you. Thank you. You take care, and you have a happy holiday. You too. All right, that number again, 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300. You heard him say right there, 32 bucks provides one night of emergency shelter for an individual, so you can make an immediate impact. But even like you said, $45 really might save somebody's life as far as getting them the ability to apply for somebody to live full time. You know, and it's, it's, it's little things like that, that you don't think of as it doesn't need a lot of money to get somebody where they need to be, but they just don't have the $45, the $50 for that right. application fee just to get started. And it's, it's so important. So if you can, and again, the Huntsman Foundation is doubling all your donations right now. So And their operating costs have really gone up. We're going to have Michelle Flynn on a little bit later on in the show, the executive director, where she was talking about it this morning. I mean, everybody loves that their property values are going up and that's great, but it also makes like Finding homes for people that really need it significantly more expensive and difficult. So uh, you're you're certainly your help is needed now more than ever. Uh, So we'll get to more coming up next. It is Jake and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake and Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake, you're a Swifty. You should like this version. And you're also a George Michael fan. You're also a huge Wham guy. Sure. It's all right. I like (laughs) Taylor Swift. George Michael and Wham, you know, they have their place. Yeah, they have their place. Atop the Mount Rushmore of, uh, what, an adult contemporary? <laughs> what, yeah, that's what, about what, right. What was Wham considered yeah. in the late 80s? Something early like 90s. that. Yeah. Uh, ben, you may have heard, uh, but I amazingly predicted Rudy's 2020 game I last did. I night. saw Tim Lacombe <laughs> on Twitter. I don't follow you on Twitter, but I do follow Tim, and Tim said it. No, you just don't, uh, you don't post your takes necessarily. No, I'm a, I'm a radio guy. Yeah. That's, yeah. But, you know, social media is I, – I am of the age where, Ben, I think like if I were a couple of years younger, I'd be way more into computers, social media, are, all that stuff. I'm in that weird last gasp of – You're like right on the edge of – are you a millennial technically? Technically, but technically, barely. But like the least millennial. You have, right. a, you have more Gen X – I think in you than you do millennial. Yes, to be I made it. I made millennial by a couple of months. Yeah, but you really do kind of have more of a Gen X right. feel to you. Yeah, thank See, you, Megan. Megan agrees. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think Megan, you and I are both pretty firmly millennials. Yes. Yeah. You're I didn't, a little younger. Like now. I didn't get my first cell phone, and man, I was I was a pager guy, hold out till the end, uh, till I was like probably twenty one, twenty two. I didn't have a laptop in college. I was one of those. Like, huh? I said blue books were still a thing when I was in college. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not as engaged in social media and like my personal life either. Right. I'm just not, right. It's just not a huge thing for me. 
it was never tied into like your social no. platforms. The way it really is, I mean, we call it social media. Not everyone does it for the social aspect of it. But now as a younger person, it is fully tied to everything you do, everyone you know, it's how you communicate, etc. You never really had to rely on it that right. much. Like I, I come from the age when you still had to be at home to get a right. phone call. Right. Uh, I was going to encyclopedias from like grossly outdated encyclopedias to write papers in you know like the mid nineties. But what made you think Rudy was going to get a twenty twenty last night? Because he hadn't had one all season. Honestly, my logic isn't exactly how it played out. Okay. But the Hornets are dreadful rebounding the ball. The worst and the worst defensive team in the NBA. Right. So those were really my two reasons. And they didn't have anybody who was going to really bother Rudy all that much. And usually when the Jazz offense is popping, that means that Rudy's got a lot of shots at the rim and the other team has to adjust. So I thought maybe Rudy gets out there and eats a little bit and uh, the Jazz end up scoring 150 points, right? Which is not how it panned out at all. I was kind of right about them getting the ball to Rudy, but instead of him getting a bunch of dunks, the Hornets fouled him a ton. I was happy to see that the Jazz, after the failure on Saturday against the Wizards, where they just neglected to give him the ball too often, they were just not willing to make some difficult passes to get him the ball when he had nobody between himself and the hoop, but the Wizards were kind of fronting him on some of these roles to make sure that the Jazz would have to throw a difficult pass to Rudy, and they challenged him, and the Jazz didn't respond, and that's good coaching from Wes Unseld, but the Jazz made a point to get Rudy the ball yesterday, and then like you said, the way Charlotte defended him is they tried to trap the pick and roll, so they always had a big out there, and then they tried to bring somebody in from the corner to guard Rudy, and that ended up being LaMelo Ball, who fouled out. I mean, they put him at the free throw line 16 times. Yeah, and he made 15, and He made 15. Way. He was incredible. Career high for him. Uh, but yes, the way they played defense also beckoned the Jazz to give Rudy the ball, and it was so, successful. I kind of thought that that would be it. But he did, obviously, I would never have predicted he would have gone 15 of 16. I mean, I'm pretty proud of my 2020 prediction, Ben, considering he's only yep. done it six times in his career. Correct. But, um, yeah, I, I, you knew he was going to go out and dominate the boards. Like, I mean, the Jazz are a good rebounding but team you know for what? one reason and one reason only. That's because Rudy's a really good rebounder. One of the things that has to happen, which is really funny to look at these numbers. Let me pull this up and see if this is accurate, because I'm pretty sure it is. So the Jazz finished with... Uh, okay, they did. They did with 68 rebounds. I mean, that's a ton of boards. Incredible. Because everyone shot so poorly last night. It was an absolutely horrendous game. Brickfest. Uh, so the Jazz ended up shooting 35%. It's the first time in three years they've shot below 36%. I mean, that's how rare it is to just even shoot that poorly. They've done it 86 times historically since 1974. So that's going back to New Orleans. Uh, they've shot below 36% 86 times. They've only won the game 78 times. So, Or I should say they've only won the game 8 times. There you go. They're 8 and 76 all time, including last night in, uh, in, in games when they shoot less they than 36%. That would be, That'd be Yeah, never shoot amazing. well. That's yeah. the best winning percentage in NBA history. <laughs> yeah, they, they only win, they've only won 8 games in their uh, 86 outings when they've uh, shot that poorly, so... To back that up, how about this one? Uh, Tyson Ewing sent me uh, this one last night. Uh, they had 68 rebounds. It's the most rebounds in a non-overtime game in franchise history, wow. or at least going back to 1977. This this number shocked Orleans. me. They had 22 rebounds in the first quarter. Yeah. 22 rebounds. I mean, there are games where there's not 22 shots in the first quarter. I mean, I was feeling pretty good about my prediction. Yeah. After that, by the way. But, I mean, look at the horrendous shooting. And I could pull this up. I'll pull up. Rudy was riding a very long stretch of games when he'd shot better than 50% from the floor. But even Gobert shot four of 10 last night. Royce O'Neal was awful 
shooting the ball. One of nine and didn't hit a shot until the last minute and a half of the game. Donovan Mitchell was seven of 20, which is not the least Donovan Mitchell-like stat line, but he was two of 10 from the three-point line. Mike Conley, who's generally mega efficient, was four of 13 shooting. Joe Ingles, who's usually a good shooter, was two of seven. Rudy Gay was two of 11. I mean, just everybody... Everybody had a truly bad shooting night. It was it was pretty shocking. And it feels, or it felt like to me anyway, that the shots were there because again, the Hornets defensively are rough. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, and it wasn't happening uh, for the Jazz. But the good news is though, and Rudy talked a lot about this in the post game. They uh, they buckled down defensively. This was their best defensive performance in a couple of games because Charlotte offensively is really good and it's not like they shot the ball well Ben uh, 38.5% from the floor and 15 of 43 from 3 so it's it's not like they were extremely efficient either last night snapped Rudy Gobert's streak of games shooting 50% or better at 64 which is huge I mean that's an incredibly long it's very good stretch of just saying yeah he just shoots better than 50% every game which means you've got better than a one point per possession Scoring average, which is why he really is viewed as like one of the most dangerous offensive weapons in the NBA. It doesn't mean he's one of the best offensive talents, but his ability to score efficiently is a is a great skill for the Utah Jazz, or is a great weapon for the Utah Jazz. So his ability to go out there and do that is pretty remarkable. 64 is a crazy streak. So to see that end last night and the Jazz still find a way to win actually is very good. I also was a little surprised after the game talking to everybody about how well they thought they played. And I I get it. Charlotte only scored 102 points. They're the number two offensive team in the NBA. That means you're doing something right. But it was incredible how bad of a first quarter Charlotte had. The Jazz still blew a 22-point lead. Charlotte did not shoot the ball well either. Charlotte only shot 39%. For the night, so they were under 40%. They had, and they only finished with 13 turnovers, but man, the number of times they simply just threw the ball away by throwing a goofy pass, and some of that is because the Jazz defense forced them into making some bad passes, but the number of unforced mistakes Charlotte, I thought, made last night was shocking. I didn't think the Jazz played as well as they celebrated in the postgame, but I recognized that they fully needed a win, and they didn't play well either, and you'll take that where you can get it. They felt good about it because they played hard, Ben. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I'm sure they felt good about it because they went out there and and poured a bunch of effort into it. It's funny you say that term, played hard, because I asked Quinn Snyder about this specific thing. You may have heard it yesterday Uh in the pregame show, because last week De'Aaron Fox went on this pretty epic rant that was, I'll call it a tirade, in fact, it was filled with expletives, about playing hard versus playing sharp. And we've talked about this a little bit. Everyone plays hard. That's how you get to the NBA and you play hard when you're there. But if you're not sharp... You're not doing anything right. And sometimes I do think the Jazz mistake the two. Sometimes the Jazz run really hard and overpass and are flying around the court and overclosing out on defense, and they're not doing the little details, which is spacing the right place, standing in the right spot on the floor, executing at the right timing. Like Some of those issues are off for the Jazz, and I actually still thought a lot of those were off last night. I did not think they were terribly sharp on the offensive end. Sure. Well, you, you certainly can say that. I mean, the stats bear out what you're talking about there. They find out a way to grind out a victory, though. Win is win. And Charlotte's really good offensively. Yeah. And they weren't really good offensively last night. No, they were they were bad, but Jazz and, were part of that. And Rudy was awesome. And it helped to not have uh, Gordon Hayward out there, certainly. But they, you know, the Jazz have to find different ways to win games because it's, it's you know, they've got this kind of Ferrari offense kind of thing. And teams just aren't going to let it be that easy when it comes to, in the, you know, when you get down to the playoffs and teams have time to scout you. And, you know, if, if Rudy can win an ugly game for you by going 20 and 20 and you play some sharp defense, you're going to need that quiver in the, you, you know, you're going to need that in the arsenal. We Sorry, talked I mixed about up that. my metaphors there. No, we, we talked about that. I mean, we, we talked about 
the Jazz win games when it's easy. And the nice thing is they're so talented, a lot of the games are easy. Right. But they don't win a lot of the hard games. At least they haven't so far this season. So when they found a way to get a win like last night, uh, that was extremely important. You know what? I'm looking at this. Rudy Gobert, this might have been the, I think Rudy Gobert was the all-time leader in streaks of players shooting above 50%. 64, according to stathead.com, which is a great service, is the longest ever in NBA history. Uh, the next closest is DeAndre Jordan, at, DeAndre Jordan at 40. So he was 30% more, I mean, half again more. That surprised me because I thought, honestly, the answer to that would have been Shaq, right? I would have thought so, too. And I'm glad to hear you, you have that nuance to take about Rudy because not only do I think you're accurate, but I've had this long-running argument for years with friends about whether or not Shaq was good at basketball. Dominant, yes. Yes. Skilled at basketball, no. Certainly had some talent. I mean, you know, we can remember him in the 90s. I I used to watch inside stuff. That was like the way you could watch Uh basketball. There was no the jump or whatever. Uh, And, you know, I remember the highlights of him going coast to coast. He could certainly pass the ball a little bit. Obviously never learned how to shoot. Not, didn't have any of those abilities. I'm not saying he was Kirilla Fasenko. Freakish athlete. You know what I mean? Really, his spin moves, his feet were pretty good. But his best weapon was that he was seven foot three and 310 pounds and could jump. Ran over folks and dunked. Yeah, and liked it. And liked it. Maybe the best thing about Shaq was he kind of liked basketball. I actually don't think he loved basketball because he was never in shape. Like, he could have easily been the greatest basketball player of all time. Right. Most dominant, certainly. He could have had conservatively eight titles if he had cared more. He really let himself get out of shape. You know, didn't try that hard in a lot of games didn't because he was so skills. big. Right. He kind of did the, I'm so big, I don't have to develop some things, which I is understandable. It worked. He won five titles or four titles. He won four titles. A three-peat with the Lakers and then one is one in Miami. Uh, and I, in my opinion, was the best player on all every single one of those teams, including in Miami with Dwayne Wade. Was better than Kobe. Was certainly more important than Kobe in all those championships in L.A. Uh, but probably easily if he had taken care of himself and really cared and had the work ethic of a Carl Malone or a Kobe Bryant, some of these guys who have really put in the time in the offseason, he could have been the best basketball player of all time because he was the most. At his peak, he's better than any player I've ever seen. But not at basketball. He was dominant. Yeah. It, listen, if he would have shot foul shots, he would have been unstoppable, period. End of yes, story. The yes, only yes. way to stop him was foul. Yeah. And so if he could actually have developed some skill and shot foul shots, then he would have been the most dominant basketball player of all time. But I'm not going to call him the best because his skills were not the best. There are far there are other basketball players that were far more skilled. Correct. Lots of guys. And you don't have to be that skilled if you're that big. That's the nice thing. You know? What your skill is that you're so big. Running over people. Yeah. And dunking. That does not take skill, Ben. That takes mass. Yeah. Correct. No, I Mass think you're right. is not a skill, Ben. I, sure, it's a genetic luck, you know. But it's like I said, playing hard. Yesterday we had this argument, is playing hard a skill? Some guys have it, some guys don't. Is that something you're born with or is that something you develop? I think there's probably a lot of different ways of it. Now, size is obviously not something you develop, but an ability and a desire to want to play hard. I mean, I remember Rudy Gobert, his kind of first breakout performance in the NBA was in Minnesota, and he came in late and he just started dunking everything. I was like, oh, there's a difference when a guy wants to dunk the ball. 
not every big guy wants to dunk the ball every time they catch it. And now it's kind of funny because even Rudy, some of the complaints is like last night, is like, you missed four dunks. <laughs> like there were times when he tried to go up soft and he should have gone up and just dunked on the smaller opponent, even though he still leads the NBA in dunks every year. It still feels like at times he could do that more. But that was kind of the first obvious thing about Gobert of why he might end up being a good offensive player is because he wanted to dunk the ball every time he caught it. And he still tries to most of the time. But you're right. That was Shaq ended up doing. Shaq. Yeah, he. It's interesting. I wonder if a Shaq, somebody, and truly, he was more athletic than anybody that size has ever been. And and I'm not trying to wholly discount Shaq here because he was certainly a unique player. I wonder if he came along again, if the NBA would be forced to change. In what way? Like the rules or the way the NBA, no, most, like the way rosters look? Don't even have a center. Oh, I, my, my one of my theories on the NBA. And I know we've been meandering here. I apologize. One of my theories on the NBA, which I very strongly believe, is the style of play is dictated by the best player in the NBA. So you had Michael Jordan. Everyone wanted to have you know guards and types of guys like that. And we kept looking for the next Michael Jordan, which is where Kobe Bryant came from. But then, yes, Shaq comes in, and you have to, every team has a Greg Ostertag. You have there to. was 30 Greg Ostertags in the NBA right. just to guard Shaquille O'Neal. And then LeBron James comes in, and, and everyone's talking about playing small. Well, what we did is we just needed to have guys who were super athletic, and you don't have guys who are 7'2 and that are that athletic. So you need a bunch more 6'7 six six to 6'10 six guys, like the Rudy Gays of the world. They can go out and move their feet. And, and that, what, that ends up developing are the Jason Tatums and the Jalen Browns and those types of the Gordon Haywards, the Paul Georges, like these types of big forwards that are there to try and mimic some of what LeBron James can do it just is and now it's going to be Steph Curry and the weird thing about Steph Curry which is funny is that it's way easier to find the body type of Steph Curry it was impossible to find Shaq but you found 37 footers who were stiffs to come be in the NBA it's really hard to find six foot nine athletes there's just not that many on earth now there's a bunch of really good six foot three people and you're already seeing these guys coming in the NBA they're doing it I mean Donovan Mitchell is a ripoff of Steph Curry I know it doesn't seem like that because he dunks, but you look at the way he plays basketball right now when he's taking eight or nine threes a game. I mean, that's a ripoff of Steph. Trey Young, Dame Lillard, all of these guys are a ripoff of what Steph did, and that's what the entire next generation of players is going to look like until there is a counterbalance of the next Shaq body that comes into the league. Yeah. And make no mistake, there will be another Shaq, and the league will stop doing some of the stuff it's doing now because everyone's going to need to have a seven-footer to guard this one player. And it's just gonna, it has to be that way. That's how the league works, but that's fun. Like I said, you can't solve basketball, and that's what makes it so enjoyable. The dunk will always be the best shot in basketball. Yeah, layups and dunks. I mean, you know, the, the nerds can come in and, and break down how important the three is, and, yeah. and I get it. It is. And it is. But the dunk is still the oh, best Oh, Donovan shot. Mitchell passed up a layup, was on top of the rim, and kicked it out to Royce O'Neal. It was a horrible play. Yeah, Royce O'Neal got an open three. He missed it. But you had two points. You're not getting two points per position right. on your threes. On, on an open three, because you're not shooting 60% on And your odds of getting fouled on a dunk and going to the line anyway yeah. are high. And then even if you're Rudy Gobert, who's not a great free throw shooter, you're still getting, what, 65% of the free throw line, maybe even at 70%, and then you're at 1.4 points per possession. The you know, ch- like, it's very, way, still way more valuable to be at the rim. The Jazz shot 37 total free throws last yep. night. That's why, the, that's why they won. Hornets shot basically none, right? Nine. Nine. That's that, yeah, that was the difference in the game. Crazy yeah. to win a game by 10 when you outshoot somebody by 30 from the I mean, that in rebounds. They 68 to 51. Yep. And then 37 free throws to nine. That's the difference. In a game that they didn't play well. But that's, the, I mean, man, we're bringing lots of, lots of different takes here together. But, uh, I mean, that's why you have to win games like that. Yep. If you're truly a great team and you don't have it, you still have to figure out a way to win. 
Defense, yep. rebounding, dunks. And it's good to have games like that, too. It's good to be able to go back to that game and say, well, we won this game this way, and we're going to have to come back and, and figure out how to flex that muscle once again. All right, uh, Ben, uh, we want to remind you about our friends at Davis Vision. It's the fifth annual Black Friday sale. It's been extended through December at Davis Vision. If you're tired of those contacts or glasses, get LASIK now. Save $1,400. Limited spots available. Act now. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call 801-253-3080. That's 801-253-3080. it is the Road Home Radiothon. It is going on right now. Uh, we're getting the word out. Tell your friends. 801-819-7300. 801-819-7300 is the way you can donate. You can also go online, theroadhome.org, and uh, donate. Um, the Zone Sports Network Twitter account tweeted out a link. Uh, I think uh, we both retweeted it, Ben. We're trying to make it uh, as easy as possible for you to get in and uh, donate because we need your assistance. Right now, Zone listeners so far have donated uh, $20,000. So that's a pretty good start. The leader right now, X96, who we've got to catch, Ben, we'll catch him. is at forty three grand. So we've got some work to do. We've got some work to do. So we need your help. 801-819-7300. And, of course, we are very competitive, but uh, the donation is what matters. Yep. The, the help. So uh, let's get out to the zone phone. Joining us now, the chief deputy director of The Road Home. She is Michelle Eining with us here on Jake and Ben. Michelle, thank you for uh, for a few minutes. We really appreciate it. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Absolutely. Thanks for Thanks for having us. So we were just talking about this. Give to give our listeners kind of an idea of, uh, you know, when they donate. We talk about it a lot that really there's no donation too big or too small because you guys make every donation go a long way. Absolutely. I think in this hour, we're actually having a triple match um, through the Huntsman Foundation. And um, so every don- every dollar is, is tripled that you give. Um, right now, we're looking at about $32 a night provides one night of emergency shelter for an individual. Um, but, you know, five, ten, two dollars will take it, it. It all helps. It all counts. And it all is tripled during this hour so. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about this. I mean, it, it, it is getting more expensive. It's getting more difficult uh, in some of these ways to, to, to help people when they need it right now, especially when it's cold outside. So so the donations right now, especially if you can triple them, are, are more important than ever. And then, yeah, I mean, you look at the weather forecast, and it, it's fun for a lot of us who get to spend the holidays, you know, getting to choose where, where we're going to be staying and get to go out and play in it. But some people don't have that same option. Absolutely. It is getting colder out there every day. Um, and anything we can do to get folks inside and warmed up and get their basic necessities um, is really helpful. You know, we what you do, Michelle, is, is extremely hard. You're dealing with, you know, real life stuff with, with people who are going through the, the worst parts of their life. But how rewarding is the other side of it? We talk about the road home. How rewarding is it for you when you see a family who, who you know, gets back to where they need to go thanks to just a little boost when they need it the most? That's got to make your heart feel good. Absolutely. It is. It's absolutely the best thing. You know, I've, I've been with the road home for 27 years um, and can't imagine calling anywhere else home or doing any other kind of work. You know, it, it, it feeds our souls to, to help um, get people in out of the cold and get people back into housing as quickly as we can. Um, every, everybody needs to be in a home, every child, every, you know, all of them, they need to be inside. So you did talk about, you know, 30, was it $32 gets somebody in for the night and provides them the night. Can you talk us through what that night looks like and the services provided and what they have access to and, and exactly how this money really does help somebody in, uh, in a specific night? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that, that covers, that helps with our staffing costs. It also, you know, it gets somebody inside. We have the staff then there to assist them. Case management, help people with housing, housing programs, help people fill out applications and get in touch with landlords that are, that, you know, work with our populations. Um, but folks get access to food and healthcare options and laundry services, showers, you know, all of those things somebody can come inside and, and get when they come into the road home. Maybe folks want to donate some goods. You know, of course, uh, financial donations are, are always great, but uh, you guys need a lot of stuff, including, uh, you know, coats, socks, that type of, type of thing, right? Yep, coats, socks, underwear, those are always, you know, anything that your folks, you, you need to keep warm, our folks need to keep warm um, and just to live their daily lives. So, yeah, those very basic necessities, socks and underwear are always one of our greatest needs um, in all sizes from, you know, children to, to larger adults. Michelle, thank you so much for for jumping on with us, and and truly, thank you so much for what you guys do. Uh, It's amazing, and it's a pleasure to be a part of this event this year. Absolutely. Thank you all so much. We really appreciate you. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, Bye-bye. That's uh, Michelle Eining, Chief Deputy Director uh, for The Road Home. You can call and donate, 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300, or go online, theroadhome.org. Or uh, if you want to donate in person, 529 West, 9th Avenue in Midvale, 3380 South, and 10th West in uh, South Salt Lake. But as she said, you know, your uh, donations are getting tripled right now. So $30 basically helps uh, somebody get off the, the street for the night, especially at these kind of brutal temperatures that we have in Salt Lake City. So 10 bucks right now during this hour will get you up to $30. And as she talked about, it's not just, you know, a warm bed for a night. It's, it's all kinds of very critical services, uh, health care, food, laundry a shower. I mean, all sorts of things to just, you know, help people get back on their feet and, and get to where they're looking. 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300 or theroadhome.org. Top three stories at KSLsports.com coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.